Welcome to the Real Life Buyer podcast. In this podcast, you will hear interviews with business owners, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, authors, and technical specialists in their field. These professionals will hasten your development, accelerate your career, and broaden your business know-how. Now, introducing your host, Dave Barr, interviewing with a purchasing twist. Hello, and welcome to the Real Life Buyer. Many businesses are now finding that having their own podcast is a viable and perhaps even a profitable opportunity. But how do you go about extending their marketing reach and tap into a new audience without the experience of where to start, who to work with, and what to do? To answer these questions and more, I'm delighted to introduce you to my next guest, Molly Rowland. Molly specializes in creating systems for small businesses and intentional strategic branded content that's designed to boost their visibility and increase their revenue. She is the CEO and founder of Heartcast Media, a full service digital contact uh, content agency, sorry, based out of Washington, D.C., with such resources at her disposal as a full service podcast production studio and content creation lab. Heartcast Media specializes in producing high-quality branded podcasts for businesses that want to generate revenue and create strategic relationships through podcasting. She's a frequent speaker about the business of podcasting, business development, and content creation, and has her own podcast show called The Next 100. So if you recognize this rapidly expanding industry as the new opportunity you have been looking for, then it's time to draw up a comfortable chair and listen intently to what Molly has to say. So without further ado, I welcome Molly onto the podcast. Hi, Molly. Hello. Thank you so much for the introduction. That was amazing. That was great. <laughs> I hope it, uh, it was suitable. It's always a difficult one to measure. So it's absolutely fabulous to have you on. Now, what's quite interesting about you is you went from a quite a different background to where you are now. In fact, you transitioned from working in the finance industry to your latest business, Heartcast Media. And I'd love to understand more about how you went about that and why you went about that. Well, you know, I got started in the mortgage industry at a very young age. I left home at 17 and uh, college wasn't the career for me. And so I, I got into the work uh, industry at like 18 years old and started working in the mortgage industry. Uh, got a job as a receptionist at a company and they were closing like, um, I think, three to four deals a month. And I got in there, worked for about five months, started asking questions and closed every deal they had in the building. I closed 18 loans for them that month. And I was quickly hired as the loan processor. Uh, and that kind of jumped off my career. Uh, you know, I bought a house when I was 23. I, I used everything that I learned. It was subprime lending. So I really loved the challenge of it. And I loved the idea of using alternative income and getting people into houses that, you know, traditionally couldn't get into houses. And so I really loved it. Um, but it slowly started to morph into a very bad situation. I mean, you know, pre 2008, even, you know, for years before that, you know, the, 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 the industry was showing signs and there was just widespread fraud and it wasn't any one group of people. The underwriters at Countrywide were telling me to send W2s that had certain numbers on them when they knew that that person didn't make that much money. I had loan officers doing, I mean, it was, it was industry-wide corruption. And I started so young when I first got a job as a receptionist, I didn't even know what a mortgage was, you know, 
And so it was an interesting way to get introduced to the world of finance and understanding money and how it's all kind of fake, right? It's all just numbers on a page, you know, if you really want to break it down. Uh, and mortgage amortization tables should be illegal because they're highly unethical, front-loaded interest. I learned a lot about the world, okay? I learned a lot about how money moves. I sold money for a living for 13 years. Uh, but the, the writing was on the wall, and I just didn't want to be a part of that anymore. There was so much corruption, and it wasn't what it was. It wasn't about getting people in the houses. It was about giving some guy 12 Baltimore row homes, knowing damn well that was going to bankrupt. I mean, it's just the corruption and greed. And it was all like white collar people signing loan documents that were completely falsified. I mean, I don't even really understand. Right. Like. And so I just kind of morphed out of that. And at the same time, I was doing, you know, parties and events and some stuff because I, I, I grew up a very musical household. I grew up like, you know, reading music and playing multiple instruments and being very entrenched in the Irish community. You know, uh, da I danced for Ronald Reagan at the White House multiple oh, wow. times as a child. Right? I mean, we were, you know, the river dance. That was, you know, I like Michael Flatley. Like I grew <laughs> up with him. Right. So we were really, really into it. And so, um, you know, it was just kind of a different, you know, a thing I was doing on the side. And then I just didn't, I just didn't want to do anything with mortgages anymore. I just felt like there was more integrity flipping burgers at McDonald's than there was to be in that industry. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't want to make unscrupulous men millions of dollars, you know? And so this, the line in the sand uh, for me was drawn. And then that was the end of that. So, but in the meantime, I had been doing like parties and stuff on the other side. And so I got out of that and I had a couple spinal surgeries uh, that really kind of showed me what was important. And so so I just put everything into the multimedia company. And so there was an overlap there, but uh, I really went all in, you know, in 2009, I started the company in 2001, uh, but in 2009, I went all in and, and for a solid 12 years in DC, you know, we, uh, you know, I managed 160 artists. I recorded 85 bands in one year. I had a three-story building with multiple studios that I built myself. I mean, I really learned about grassroots marketing, strategy, branding, content creation, audio, video, all of that. And I did it with no money. You know, I did it as a very community-based, working with artists, never getting paid. And I constantly devalued myself. And I would say, I don't need to get, I would volunteer myself as someone who didn't need to get paid while I, meanwhile, couldn't afford an Uber home. I don't, I don't know. I had a lot of mindset issues, honestly. And so that's kind of the short, <laughs> the not so short story of how I ended up in real estate to multimedia. Right. Still fascinating story. And the fact that you created such a you know, an expansive service, if you want to call it that, because you weren't really getting paid for it. It was kind of a service industry more than else. So uh, that, that's really interesting story. Is there a particular reason why it was podcasting as opposed to other types of, you know, uh, so, so kind of support business out there? What, what's draw you to podcast in particular? You know, I really think that listening is a revolution. You know, when, when you're just able to listen on a personal level, professional, if we could just listen to each other a little bit more, we'd, we'd all be a lot less angry. And I feel like that's only amplified since the pandemic, right? Like if we could just listen to each other. And I went from creating platforms because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're giving people vo a voice. That's so insulting. Everybody has a voice. You're giving them a microphone or a platform or an opportunity to amplify that voice. You're not giving anybody a voice. And I love being the person behind the curtain to get the camera angle and, and, and you know, let's try 
try that again. Let me make you laugh. Let me let me make you comfortable. No, no, that's not the goal. Let's try. Let's let's you know. I I love that side of things. And so I I, I had another company, and in 2018 I had a miscarriage, and then I thought I had cancer, and I mean the universe was like, sit down, like please sit down, and I was relieved. I thought, great. I, I I'm I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. Like take me off this ride. And then they came back and said you don't have cancer, and I thought, well, crap. Wow. Oh, God now what am I going to do? You know? And so uh, I was genuinely disappointed, you know, um, and that's a whole other story. But, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And so I just recalibrated and I closed down the other company and I took my intellectual property and my equipment and my relationships and I formed HeartCast Media. And I went from being, you know, the person that everybody knows. I can walk in any bar and someone's sliding a Jameson across the, you know what I mean? Uh, I went from being that person, but who was also, you know, really moving a lot of stuff in DC behind the scenes, right? That a lot of people never even knew. And then I, I, then I wanted to do it for businesses. I didn't want to work with artists anymore. I didn't want to work with creative people anymore. I wanted to work with businesses that had like bigger visions because what I was seeing is that there'd be these young kids in DC with iPhones, no training, making amazing videos and doing super cool stuff with no, no, barely any equipment no training, nothing. And then in the business world, you're paying $15,000 for a brand video and it sucks. And Tom from IT did it. It's not even what he does. And you didn't launch it right. And I'm like, where's the gap between the $15,000 waste of time brand video and these kids that are doing amazing. Like, and so I decided to kind of be that gap to bring this grassroots, like actual functional marketing that's going to work and appeal to people into the business world to say, you know, yeah, you can spend 15 grand on a brand video, but what are you, how are you launching it? How are you uploading it to YouTube? Where's the SEO? Where's the metadata? How, you know, like it's a, it's a much bigger picture. Right. And so I, you know, formed HeartCast Media and decided that I, I just wanted to work with people with bigger objectives, right? Like I loved amplifying artists' voices because I think music is healing and so important and powerful. And I love, I just got goosebumps. I loved being the person to like, you know, make it possible for people to have those experiences together, you know? But I also really love help crafting messages and working with people who have bigger visions and like want to make the world a better place on a slightly bigger level. So, you know, there, the, you know, hence the birth of HeartCast, you know? Yeah, that really makes sense now. It really brings out the emphasis there. And uh, yeah, it's a great message to hear. It was interesting that earlier this year, I went to, um, well, because of the pandemic, there hadn't been for some time, but there was the London podcast show. And I was kind of taken aback there. I didn't know really what to expect. It's my first time visiting the show. And I was surprised at how many marketing type businesses, should we say, that were there pitching to try and find new clients, you know, not just people, individuals like myself, but actual businesses and help them create their own podcasts. So for a business to consider using podcasting as a marketing and brand promotional tool. What kind of strategy and systems would they need to have considered and perhaps scoped out? And what kind of financial and resource budgets should they be prepared for, you know, before they embark on a, a their own podcasting journey? I love that question. You know, podcasts are kind of the soup du jour. It's like, oh, you should have a podcast, right? And so we only work with people that understand the value of a podcast and have it in their budget and have it earmarked. So a lot of people come to us, hey, Q4, we're going to start a podcast. For us, we're like, 
man, we wish that was six months sooner, but we'll see you in Q4, right? <laughs> because they understand the value of it. So the biggest thing is having a strategy. So a lot of times people are interviewing entrepreneurs or they're thinking about, um, we want to get in front of more people and tell more people about our products. But with a branded podcast, I would venture to say that the thinking is completely opposite. The, the, the guest is, is far more important than the audience. Because of the branded podcast, you're establishing a relationship. You're creating a strategic relationship that's going to drive revenue. So the first thing you have to do is determine what are you trying to do? If you're trying to be seen as a thought leader, then you need to go interview a bunch of other thought leaders and not worry about ROI. You're just saying, I'm in this club with these other cool kids. I'm a cool kid and I'm hanging out with them and you're going to put me in the same bucket as those cool kids. There's no, the, the ROI on that is not going to come anywhere near the podcast. It'll be a collateral benefit. It'll show up in other ways, but it won't be directly. You're not going to get sponsors. You're probably going to have a hundred downloads. It doesn't matter. You're now tagging people, putting that content on LinkedIn saying I'm with them, right? Totally different trajectory than somebody who wants to get new clients, right? If you're trying to get new clients. Then, you know, if you do a monthly podcast and you're really strategic and intentional about who those 12 people are going to be, who are 12 relationships you can create this year that are going to actually bring you more clients? So don't go for the client, go for the guy that manages a hundred clients, right? Really be intentional about who you're interviewing. And then, so I have, I have this three pillars concept, right? The SBA to any digital content strategy, but especially podcasting. First, you got to have a strategy. Right? Who are you interviewing and why? Con is it client retention? Is it client acquisition? Is it thought leadership? What is the point, right? Is it volume? Are you an author? Maybe you need to sell a bunch of books. You need volume, right? That's very different than the other three, right? The next arm is production, which if you're going to create a branded podcast, I really suggest you outsource your production. People are going to do a better job on it. They're going to create matching graphics. It's going to be more consistent. It's just going to make your life easier so that you can then focus on the amplification. And that doesn't mean marketing. That means creating the runway with the relationship that you established in the interview in the first place, right? Coming on and saying, hey, Dave, it was really great that you were on my show. Episodes coming out in two weeks. Here's three graphics you can use. Here's where the video is going to be. Oh, and by the way, I'd love to have you on my board of directors. And by the way, I would love it if you would speak at my summit. And by the way, I would love to schedule a 30 minute call with you to talk about, right? Like it's creating a runway. And I think a lot of times businesses and people get focused on the production of the podcast and they completely miss the strategy and the amplification part. So the idea is if you could create 12 relationships this year with people who can move the needle, right? Like what is your ROI on that? What does one new client mean to you? Is it 10 to 15 K? Well, doing a monthly podcast, you're going to cover that expenses. And if you do it right, you're going to get more than one client from 12 strategic relationships. So it's a different spin. And there are a lot of companies out here like start a podcast, market it here, do audiograms. Nobody listens to them. FYI, the data is there, right? They're trying, they're pitching you numbers, numbers. You could get 50 downloads on a contract on a podcast episode and get a $15,000 contract or a hundred thousand dollar contract off of that. It is not about volume. It's about the quality, not the quantity. And so a branded podcast is slightly different. So as far as output, you know, with Heartcast Media, you could do a, a monthly podcast and we'll do all the marketing and everything for 1500. We'll strategize who you're interviewing. We'll get it done and we'll flood your for 12 months. You'll have content going out every other day, everything else for your podcast for 1500 a month. Not, not a huge investment if depending on what your client return is, right? 
We also have clients that are doing weekly shows and marketing and are spending between five and $8,000 a month with us because we're handling everything. So there is a, there's a range there, uh, depending on what it is people want to do. I think being very intentional and strategic, my two favorite words, you know, if you want to market a book, do go on a bunch of other people's podcasts for three months. You want to launch a new app and a product, do 12 months of podcasts, be very clear on what you're doing and hit those marks then step back look at the data say do we want to do season two do we want to do this again are we good do we need to do it again at all that's really interesting yeah that's that's surprised me a little bit i didn't expect to hear so much detail there from a people perspective obviously you can purchase your resources from from, from you but what do you expect from your clients, how much input do you expect them to provide? Because I don't think that necessarily people realize how much work goes into producing podcasts. So can you give a, a, a flavor of the kind of input that people should, not just on a monetary point of view add, but also from a, a personal point of view add, their time, the effort, et cetera, what's involved in that? Well, it's really determining what the goal is. You know, um, are you starting a podcast because you want to write a book? Are you starting a podcast because you want to, you know, the, again, it's figuring out what that end game is and then reverse engineering it from there. Some of our project-based clients, you know, like the National Healthcare Center, they, they're doing six episodes on HIV. Like they don't need any input from us. We're just designing it and producing stuff and giving it back. Other clients are like, really want that input from us. They ask for feedback. I'll listen to their podcast. I'll do a Loom video. I'll get on a call with them say, hey, here's where I think you could improve. So it, it really depends. But you know, when, when you onboard with us, we do a like an onboarding strategy session for 60 minutes. And we really try to dial in on as much of that as possible. And then the entire team knows what to do with the content. Right. Okay. Now with, with most activities, there needs to be, as you said, a clear plan but there also needs to be consistency and commitment. And you hear different things about how often you need to post, how often you need to put your podcast out there, you know, how long podcasts should be and so on and so forth. It can be very, very confusing for individuals and businesses to know what is expected. So how do you prepare your clients? How do you assess your clients and decide what's most appropriate for their type of business? You know, we, we usually figure that out in that onboarding session because everybody's very clearly a different path. So it's kind of easy to dial in on, on what that looks like. Um, consistency is, is absolutely queen. And so we've actually developed some reta monthly retainers, not just for cash flow purpose, but for accountability, right? Like you paid 1500 bucks, dude, do your one episode, right? Because life moves fast. And you know, you know, I have a weekly podcast, man, that thing creeps up on me every 10 minutes. I'm like, again, I got to do, it. I just fin I literally hang up my headphones. Like, you got to do another one. I'm like, son of a, right. And so, uh, the project based ones where they pay for 20 episodes, I'm like two and a half years later, I'm like, guys, you, you wasted a bunch of money. If you're not going to do it consistently, then you're literally wasting your money. If you're going to do 20 episodes, record all 20, launch them 20 weeks in a row. Like you can't, if you're not consistent, it's not going to work. You know, how many times a day should you post? There's there's like five layers of content marketing, right? And one is consistency. Two is you're just nurturing the leads you already have. You're not bringing people in from social. The people who've already engaged with you, who looked at your content, you know, are going to go to your Instagram, your whatever, and, and you're just nurturing the people that you're already talking to, right? The next phase is really hammering the content and then picking the ones that do well. And then the next phase is putting paid advertisement on those things, right? Right. 
So again, though, if you're really just looking to create 12 strategic relationships, then doing a monthly podcast with marketing, you know, is a, is a really fantastic way to get that done. And it's not that much of a commitment, you know? So you have to be really honest, you know, can you do them a weekly? Like I had a client who was doing a, a weekly podcast and it was like, he didn't want to do video. So we were creating video with stock images. It was really well-produced content. But it was a lot of work. He was interviewing people. So season two, he's just doing literally a one-minute podcast. Nobody else is involved, nothing. He batch records them. We roll them out. He's on a monthly plan. It works so much better for him in the space he's in. The first podcast did really well. He got a job writing at Forbes out of it. Checked the box. It did exactly what it needed to, but he wanted to stay in the mix. So there's shorter podcasts. So it, things tend to organically present themselves by saying, okay, well, where are you at? What are your time constraints? What are you trying to accomplish? And what's your budget? Okay, here's what's going to, you're going to get the most bang for your buck with this plan. Quite interesting the process you use here. So I want to try and dig a little bit more into that. So let's say there's two types of business. You've got a product-based business. You're physically selling something, you're a handover and they're going to use versus a service-based business. So how, how do you go about breaking those things down? Because they're quite different types of businesses. You know, what kind of questions do you ask? You know, what do they need to you know, reveal to you in some way? Well, you know, a product-based business, I would honestly recommend that they don't start their own podcast and that they go on a whole bunch of other people's podcasts. I think doing four, going on four other podcasts a month, it would return so much more value and investment than having your own weekly podcast. A product is a difficult thing to have a podcast about, right? Like does, the cl most clever one I've heard yet is a toothbrush company that did a podcast. It's like a minute and 37 seconds or whatever the exact amount of time you're supposed <laughs> to. And it's like, Alexa, play my morning routine. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. But like, that's, that's somebody on the marketing team should have gotten a bonus for that one. But that's a rare situation. It's going to be really hard to market to get people interested in your product through your own podcast, right? Unless you're like GM or somebody and you're interviewing titans of, uh, you know, like, like it's a different story. I would go on other people's podcasts. If you have a service-based business, having your own podcast is absolutely the way, but you gotta be really clear. Who is your audience? Who are you talking to? How are you marketing this? Who are you trying to appeal to? Is your podcast, does it have clear CTAs? Is it leading people? Because I, I think we talk a lot about, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. We talk a lot about funnels, right? You gotta get your funnel and you gotta get your nurturing came. First of all, where is this funnel coming from? This, in order to funnel things, it means you have a, a high volume of things that you need to funnel down into a smaller stream. Well, what if your stream is already really small, right? This idea of a funnel, I don't know. I just think it's it's very impersonal, and I don't think that we really need that. I think you just need to go on podcasts, and you need to or have a podcast and connect with people, and then say, "This is how you can work with me," and make it really easy. And then everything is SEO, right? At the end of the day, all of this is SEO. So make sure you're putting a blog post up, and make sure you're putting the metadata on there, and make sure you have one link of what you want people to do. You want a discovery call, then put one link. Do you want them just to follow you on all your stuff? Cool. Put all your profiles. But if you want them to sign a petition, one link. You want them to make a donation, one link. Like you gotta, you have to push people into the result that you want. And you have to remind yourself of that constantly. Even me, I talk about this stuff all the time. My own podcast, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What does this have to do with anything? Let me re-record that, you know? Okay. Okay. It's quite interesting. You're revealing a lot of things that people should be looking for. Now, obviously not everybody is whatever close to Washington, D.C. or based in the U.S., and they may well be looking for a company 
of your competence and skill, breadth and depth. So how do they go about assessing those companies out there that are offering the kind of services you are to really narrow down the true companies that can really help them, really help to drive their sales and revenues and so forth? How do you go about assessing that uh, and saying, right, this is the company for me? Well, the number one thing is we work with people all over the world. So you can always call Heartcast Media. But I think the biggest thing is a production house that's going to take care of everything from start to finish, right? That's the most important thing. Even with my, our own clients, we have started um, offering marketing because we would make them all these assets for the podcast episodes and then they wouldn't even use them. So we're like, guys, they, they don't work if you don't post them, you know? And so we started offering marketing too because we realized they just don't have the bandwidth for it, right? So in my experience, whenever something's like kind of DIY, it doesn't get done, you know? Just let me show up and record. You send me my files back. And then my marketing team disseminates them or you guys do it for me so you can keep your eye on the prize and not like, wait a minute, I'm spending 10 hours a week on GarageBand. Like this is not where, you know, this, I, if I spend 10 hours a week actively on LinkedIn sales navigator, I'd be getting a lot more results than 10 hours on GarageBand. Right. So I would say, you know, um, you know, just kind of really dialing in on, you know, how much of that they can take off your plate. Like we work with the Atlantic Council, which is a think tank. They've been around for the 70s. They have a huge AV department. They do live events, streaming, huge cameras, microphones. We produce all of their podcast content because they met with us and realized that we have all those departments in one company. For them to produce a podcast, it would have to go strategy, and then it would have to go to the video department, and then it would have to go to the marketing department. And that's way too many resources. So they're like, no, 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 no. Even though we could do all of this, podcasts are not intuitive to the content we normally create. And so we're going to just farm out all of our podcasts to you. And so we're like the man, you know, the, the humans behind the curtain. We produce all of their content because they know that it makes more sense to just streamline everything in one place. Because as you know, when you have too many touch points, things get lost in the sauce. Wait, what do you mean you don't have a headshot? Wait, the episode is supposed to go out in an hour. Well, yeah, I'm still waiting. That doesn't happen when you hire a company that handles everything. So that would be my best advice is hire somebody who's going to do everything from start to finish, including setting up your podcast for success, getting you a microphone, doing all your branding, strategy sessions, et cetera. Yeah, I guess getting some kind of checklist together of understanding these are the kind of things that need to be done by this company. How are they going to help me get through this? It could be quite a daunting phase. Just the things you're talking about today. Obviously, I'm involved with podcasts for quite a while now. But for somebody that's new and only ever listened to podcasts, a lot of this terminology is quite alien and it must be quite scary. It's daunting to know, my God, I'm being bombarded here with all this stuff and I don't understand it. Where do I start kind of thing? And that's why it can be scary in finding the right supplier to work with. If you're not sure what questions to ask, you're not sure what language they're using, you don't understand the terminology and that can be really, really difficult. And that's where a personal bit comes in. You can see the website, you can get all these tick boxes, but then at the end of the day, you're dealing with an individual, you know, your representative, your company's representative. So that relationship is quite important. So how do you build that relationship with your clients? Well, we we have departments that don't move. So 
the same video editor is going to work on your stuff this month, next month, and the next month. We only got one editor and one audio and one, you know? And so that's the kind of the difference. A lot of shops like mine are using, uh, and our team is all over the world, you know? So don't get me wrong. We have a global staff because that makes more sense for us. But everybody gets paid the top rate and everybody's a full-time employee. So everybody gets paid every Friday. It's not churn and burn. The same video editor has been with me for three and a half years. He knows your content. He knows your templates. He knows how you like things. The, the engineer is sitting in on your sessions, spending time with you, listening to your interviews, understanding where you're making sense. Anthony, the relationship manager, is your point of contact. He's helping you out. He's also listening to your podcast, saying, hey, I saw this. Don't forget to mention your CTA. You know, you've got a team of people that are there for you week in and week out. And I think that's helpful versus like, wait, who's editing my, oh, Tom this week and Susie next week. And, you know, and then you can't even communicate with them. So there's no gatekeepers. Um, and like we create a Trello board for every client. And you can see your episodes, where they are. You can comment on them. You can ask my graphic designer for anything you want. You can ask the video editor to change something. You can ask Matt to make an edit. There's no gatekeepers. It's just one big happy family. And so our clients seem to really like that. At first, they're like, Christ, what is this Trello board? And what do I have to learn? I know sometimes in the beginning, they're like, oh, God. But then when they get it, they're like, actually, this is amazing. And now I love Trello. So Trello, you should pay me, but uh, I digress, <laughs> honestly. But uh, we, 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 we also kind of show them a peek behind the curtain to say, look at all of this stuff that is super overwhelming that we are doing for you on every single episode. You know what I mean? It moves through the assembly line, video, audio, copywriting. And they go, man, we are so glad we are paying you to do this work <laughs> because that's a whole bunch of stuff I didn't have to do this week. And all I get to see, you know, it's like when people say, if you want to see how the sausage is made, which is like, I think the worst analogy or whatever ever, but like we show them and they're like, Oh God, no, thank you. I don't want to know any of that. Just let me know where to show up. And we're like, that's exactly how we want you to feel. We want you to know, because a lot of times when you're hiring somebody like us or a website designer, you know, you spend all this money and then it's like crickets. There's no like, you know, so for us, we immediately return a Trello board, something tangible. It's got your branding on it. Okay, we're, we're you. There's no buyer's remorse. You're seeing the fruits of your your investment immediately. You know, uh, and then from there, it's you know, we're making it easy, but we're showing you so that you know work is being done, things are happening. You don't need to. It's like that Olympic sport curling when they're like massaging. The, like you don't have to do that with us. Like we do that five days after you record, everything is there. And your marketing team is like, yes, we love Hardcast Media. Or we post the content for you. You know what I mean? And that's the idea. So they can always peek in, see what's happening, but they can stay out of it and really focus on the strategy and the amplification. Like... Hey, man, if you just interviewed a CEO of some important company you want to do business with, you need to give his marketing team a month. You can't be like, hey, Tom, thanks for being on the podcast. Here's four graphics. He's going to be like, cool, I'll send this to my marketing department and it'll get posted in a month. Like, you you want to you want to play with super important people? You got to play by the rules. And so you got to, that's where you should be spending your time. Re creating that runway, touch, making those touch points with that relationship, creating opportunities for you to work with them again in the future, not worrying about writing the show notes and creating an audiogram and 
And it is. It is very overwhelming. And that's one thing that, like, in the podcast industry, it kind of pisses me off because it's like, yeah, you know, you got to learn how to what microphone to buy. Then you got to learn how to use it. And then you got to learn how to talk in it. And then you just buy some pop filter that nobody needed in the first place. And, and, and that's just a microphone, right? And that, we haven't even talked about everything else. And it's very unfair to expect people to be like graphic designers and copywriters and audio engineers and video editors. And and you see that honestly a lot in companies where the marketing director just gets saddled and I'm like, dude, this is a <laughs> audio engineering is a career, just FYI. It's not really like yeah. just do it on the side, you know. That's brilliant. I kind of see there's three main pillars. And excuse me if I'm wrong here, but the first pillar is you become an extension of their own team. It's that personal approach. You say consistency, it's the same person. You're not ringing a pool of people and hoping for a result. So that's really great. Secondly, you've got clear procedures and processes in place. You know where things are at any one time. It's clearly laid out. No argument. You know where it is. And then thirdly, you're constantly feeding back results, exactly what's happening, where we are, how we're you know, achieving our goals and such. And those are the three things I kind of pulled out of, uh, of that conversation there. Would that be a fair assessment? That's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. That was good. Okay, brilliant. I'm, I'm quite cheap by the hour. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, let's 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 kind of move on now. Because you know, I find this fascinating. But content. We've talked about content, producing valuable content a few times now, and and that's a difficult thing to understand in itself. Uh, you've got to make sure content engages with the client, the audiences effectively, and it's got to represent the person or brand that obviously you are trying to convey. That's not always easy because otherwise the client's time is completely wasted. You're hitting the wrong mark, basically. You're thrown to the wrong dartboard, so to speak. So just trying to understand then, you've talked about these discussions you have. You're using certain methods. Perhaps you've got recommendations or processes that help you identify how do you target the right client specifically. That's a very difficult thing people to sue you know it's talked about a lot of you know envisage your ideal uh, client that's quite difficult to, to to get sometimes and for you to get that about a business that you know very little of that must be quite difficult so so how do you tease out those subtleties that is going to make all the difference for your clients well, you know, at the risk of sounding a, a little bit pompous, I think that's that's where I come in. You know, 22 plus years of marketing. Um, I, I, I've i been saying for years, I want to do a speed dating for like business podcasts. Like I love, like, tell me what your business is. I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to give you like three ways a podcast could generate revenue for you. Like I, I love that stuff. That's just how my brain works. I'm really good at like, what is, what is your, you know, and I think the ideal client thing is, is, is kind of BS to be honest. Is like, what does that mean? Like, okay. Well, you, my ideal client is somebody with vision who's willing to make a commitment. <laughs> so how do you put a Facebook ad for that? You know what yeah. I mean? What industry is that? Well, it's all industries. Are you committed? And do you have a vision, right? Do you have a long-term commitment and a long-term vision? And you're going to be a great client for me. But I think really it's about dialing it in. So one of my favorite quotes is you can't read the label from inside the jar. And so often I'll meet with clients and they'll say, Hey, we have this idea. We want to do a, B and C. And I'll say, that's cool. Right. And I see but based on what you've said, I think we should actually do C, D, and E. So it's part of what you want to do. It's just a slightly different version of it. And they're like, boom, that's it. Sometimes all of us just need to, this is why we have masterminds and coaches and friends. So you can 
you can't read the label from inside the jar. You need somebody else to say. And then nine times out of 10, they're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Yes, that's it. Oh my God, I know exactly who to call. Oh my God, why didn't I think of this? Uh, Molly, I'm, I'm going to go. I got some calls to make. That's usually how it goes down. I'm, I'm just a mirror. You know, if you really, I'm just a mirror. I just show them what they're giving me stuff and I give it back to them and I give it back to them with my own lens and then the light bulbs go off and they know exactly what to do because anytime you're trying to build relationships, it's also going to be relationship based. Like you're not going to get the CEO of Starbucks because you have a podcast, right? But like maybe you know somebody who does the booking at one of the big food expos who knows the receptionist for the other person that's five people down from the ceo and they would go on your podcast right you gotta it's gonna you know i'd age myself but it's all about your rolodex <laughs> right the, anytime you do anything it's all about your relationships right calling you hey man you know i'm doing this thing dave can you help me out you know i know this is your audience i'm trying whatever it's always going to be about relationships so I think, you know, that's the difference with Hardcast Media is, you know, there's a lot of people in my industry, like there's a big podcast production company and they're like, we have 30 years experience. Well, one of them is a chiropractor who still has a full-time business and the other one was a speech writer. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what, what are these 30 years? That, like, it's not real. There's a lot of fabricated BS marketing out there. Like, okay, you're, just because you wrote speeches for 20 years does not mean you have 20 years experience in podcasting. It just, it just cause you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to lie. You don't have to make it up. And I think that you can tell from the people who've been doing it a long time and the people who haven't. Right. And so you're getting 23 years of my mistakes. You're getting 23 years of me doing shit wrong. And now I'm going to tell you how to do it slightly better. And I'm going to help you do it because I love it. Right. And that's kind of the difference between me and another shop out there or Heartcast media and another shop is you're getting, yeah, all my mistakes. Get the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you've been through it, done it, got the T-shirt. Fantastic. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned, obviously, one of the platforms there, Facebook. Now, people automatically think for businesses, oh, everything's got to go onto LinkedIn. Would that be a right assumption or can you use the other platforms to gain you know, some good traction in business? It all depends on your business. Are, you, are your target clients moms? And Facebook is probably a good place. Are your target audience C-suite executives? And they are not on Facebook. You know what I mean? So it, it totally depends who it is you're trying to reach with your messaging. Um, but the short answer is all platforms are good. Put your content everywhere. Put it on TikTok if it makes sense. Put it on Reels. Put it on Shorts. Put it on Facebook. Put it on LinkedIn. Put it on Twitter. And do it again every single day. Right? Now, you can narrow down. Now, if you're one person, you're like, I can't handle all that. That's a different story. Pick one that you're going to get the most return from and be super consistent with it. If you have a marketing team and a budget, you should be creating content for all of it. So like if I was to take this podcast and chop it up into short form videos, I may take one of the personality kind of clips and put that on a TikTok account, right? And then I might take a part when I'm talking about, you know, uh, attention arbitrage and da, 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 some real, some moment that I sounded really smart. I might clip that and put that one on LinkedIn. Right. So you, you, you would use different content to fit different needs. You're, you, you don't, what you don't want to do is go on Hootsuite or whatever and put the same posts on all seven platforms with hashtags on it because everybody knows you did that. And the problem is, is that anybody who's actually following you just got seven notifications about the same post. And so now what you're doing is you're teaching me to ignore you. You're teaching me to delete your notifications. Right. Okay. That's interesting. I've not heard that before. That's, that makes absolute sense the way you've explained that. Brilliant. Think about it. What do you do when you're like, oh, you get, you know, oh, somebody just posted on LinkedIn and I just posted on Facebook. Okay. All right. All right. And you just delete them. You delete them all. You don't look at any of them because it's lazy and okay. you're not talking to me. Yeah. 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 
Oh, that's interesting. I've not heard. I've not heard that. You know, I hear a lot of people say repurpose your content, get it on the platforms. But uh, being as specific as you are to certain segments of that, that's um, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. We're- at the very least, break it up. Don't don't put it in Hootsuite to have it go at 2 p.m. on Thursday to every single platform. Because even, you know, and I, I was working with a client, like a coaching client, and she would post her business and then she would post it on her personal. And I'm like, they literally show up on top of each other in my feed and I just go right past both of them. I'm like, you have trained me to delete your content. I said, break it up. Do the business one one day and do the personal post the next day. You're, you're working against the algorithm by doing that. So right. you don't even have to have necessarily different content, but don't, you know, and if you've got seven platforms, that's seven days. You do LinkedIn one day and you do Facebook the next day and you do Twitter the next day and you do, right? Like you got to use what you have in a creative way that makes sense for the resources you have and putting it all out on at one time, right? It's like emails. So what do you do every day? I wake up and the first thing I do is delete a whole bunch of emails. Yeah. I guess you're thinking of that. Yeah. The, a lot of those people aren't on all the same platforms. You know, so I think, well, would they actually see it again? Would they actually follow me on multiple platforms, yes or no? So I'm just trying to think of myself personally, when I look at these different types of platforms, do I see the same post on multiple places? I've got to do some thinking about that. You you, you made me stop and think, so that's, that's really good. I appreciate that. But before I ask you one last question, because I know our time's running thin, people I'm sure will have loved all the things you've said today. Where's the best places to go and find you and your content? You know, I just started a podcast actually that I'm very proud of and it's called The Next 100. Uh, It's for business owners that are trying to get to the next 100K, right? Too many small businesses don't make more than 100,000 a year, especially women-owned businesses. And a lot of times it's building a better system, creating better marketing, having better strategies. And so I have created a weekly 10-minute podcast uh, and every week we talk about a different uh, you know, thing, whether it's how to name your podcast episodes. There's a 10-minute podcast episode on just that. And I'm really trying to give people some value and help them shorten their trip between that 100K. And so once you get over 100K, then the next 100K is the hurdle. And, and, it, and those 100K leaps actually get shorter and shorter the more that you make. But that first 100K is a real doozy. So the podcast is aimed at entrepreneurs. So it's a little bit of marketing. It's short form video. Um, the other day I talked about grief, you know, and how does that show up uh, every day in the work that we're doing, right? Because uh, nobody escaped losing a lot of things they really cared about in the last three years, people and things. So that would be the best place. I would love for people to listen to my podcast and leave me some feedback. And then from there, I've got links to, you know, Heartcast Media and my website and all that. But if you like the content, then you'll intuitively find those links and get in where you fit in. But uh, I would love for people to check out my podcast. That would be the best way to find me. Fantastic. I'll put in the, my show notes all the links to the other platforms as well anyway, so people can have a little dive in. So one last question. You've clearly said that you've been in this game for some time. You've got a heck of a lot of experience. Now, if you had your chance to relive it, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Ooh, that's such a good question. I'm not a big fan of regret because I think it's a waste of emotion. However, um, I wish that I didn't think that I had to build everything. Because my entire life, I guess leaving home at 17 and having to figure stuff out, I created everything that I wanted in life. I did it myself. I built it myself, you know? And 
And I probably would have been better served like getting a job at Sony or something, you know? <laughs> like I probably really could have learned from some people a lot smarter than me, right? But I had such a bad experience in higher education. And then I had to work because I couldn't go home. And I was living, I've been, you know, homeless twice as an adult. I mean, I, I didn't have the privilege or the luxury of going back to mom and dad. So I always had to get land on my feet. And then in hindsight, you know, um, I don't regret not going to college because I think that especially back then it wasn't, uh, I don't think I missed out on anything, but I, I, I probably would have had a different career and a bit of an easier time if I had gone and worked for people like Virgin and, and Sony and MTV and, and, and dipped my toe into the like entertainment world a little more, um, because I would have built better connections and people would have seen my passion and knowledge and I would have advanced very quickly in that world. But I, I just did everything underground and grass roots and built it from the ground up like a stubborn Irish woman. Uh, and so, yeah, if I could do anything again, I would, I would go work for some people and I would see how things are done, uh, before I would go out and, uh, try to do it myself. Uh, that's, uh, well, you know, I read a book a week. I, I, I belong to a mastermind. I, I'm going to join a couple more. Uh, I, I actively invest in being with people that are smarter than me. Uh, and I, that's how I'm making up for it now. Brilliant. That's really good advice there. Well, that's fantastic. We've had a, I've had a great time here. You've, you really have divested a lot of information. Most appreciate your time for doing that. Um, and best of luck with your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, you got to listen to it. You got to give me some feedback. <laughs> you got to rate, <laughs> subscribe, whatever. I'll do. Yeah, you, you know the rigmarole. But yeah, um, I'm actually really proud of the content. And you know, one of the one of the collateral benefits of of podcasting it feels good. It feels good to get it done and to be consistent. You know, I'm proud of myself for that. And I think we need little wins. And it's like, you got to exercise the right muscles, you know, and I and I'm proud of the content. I really am. And I'm proud of myself for being consistent about it. And so I would absolutely love for people to listen to it and let me know what they think. For sure. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, so best of luck. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, hope to speak to you again sometime. Yeah, you too. Let's stay in touch. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great conversation. And uh, and it, people with your accent always say my name so much better than I ever can. So I, <laughs> I love hearing it. I love hearing it. So thank you. Brilliant. Take care, Molly. Thank you. Take care. So there's another Real Life Buyer podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it and it's given you some ideas and inspiration for greater action and achievement. If you are a purchasing or a supply chain professional, business owner or director, Come and join my Facebook group, the Purchasing and Supply Chain Community Hub, a safe place to engage with like-minded, friendly people. See you soon. Bye.